Welcome to Translating Infinity. They are communicating. Have we forgotten how to listen? You gotta take this higher! Now, when you talk about high, high, high frequencies that these beings uh, are and reside in, and it meets the frequency of the third dimensional human being, to me, this is where the terror comes from. It's um, high frequency meeting a lower frequency, and you need to accelerate your uh, frequency to meet theirs so you can uh, commune. And if they were to come into contact with us, being of a higher energy level, it would in some senses overwhelm us because it would be, as the analogy he's used, it would be like having a very fast spinning gear and a very slow turning gear suddenly be forced together without synchronizing. He said, we would strip your gears. Welcome to Episode 4 of Translating Infinity. I am your host, Eileen Meyer. The opening clips that you just heard were taken from the documentary footage that I recently and quite synchronistically acquired, most of which has never been publicly shared, like in the last episode with Dolores Cannon. As I shared in a previous episode, I am pulling from the footage of a documentary called Beyond Five Senses, and that as far as I know, never played beyond the Santa Fe Film Festival in roughly 2007 or 8. I encourage you to listen to the previous episodes as it does build in order, and I try not to bore the listeners by repeating too many backstory details. My interviews as a subject in the film occurred in spring and summer of 2004 in Santa Fe, New Mexico while the interview with well-known channel filmmaker Daryl Anka was shot by the crew in Los Angeles over a year later in 2005. There's some really great stuff here that I'm using in this and future episodes that I think you might want to hear, if you have an interest in this sort of thing about contact events with experiencers and the exploration of why. Those who know me know that the evolution of contact has been my personal focus and passion for about 20 years now. The evolving contactee is a pattern that has surfaced in my years of observing and listening to other experiencers who've also had ongoing contact throughout their lives. There seems to be an eventual understanding within us or a sort of recognition of a cosmic intent to meet in this life with not only otherly non-human intelligence, but in the process, we get to meet more of our own human intelligence, whereby it becomes clear that there is a potentiality in consciousness itself that has remained mostly dormant within the human being. And thus, my repeated insistence about this phenomena over the years is, it's not about them and discovering life out there. In a myriad of ways, they are pointing to us to rediscover the creative life force within. 
the contact occurs to initiate and accelerate this process. And if we can transcend the fear and remain engaged, we can communicate by awakening our dormant faculties. Invariably, our human part of this cosmic plan appears to be all but forgotten in our earthly amnesia and conditioning. But with a lifetime of adapting, integrating, and consciously working with this high-frequency intelligence, the memories of pre-life agreements do return, just as Dolores Cannon shared with us in Episode 3. And why might this be? In looking back at my life and the changes I have undergone and knowing others now who have experienced this long-term contact, it feels like we're getting help from beyond our 3D split-mind compartmentalized orientation to life. The messaging that I have recorded from this intelligence has been consistent on several themes over the years. One of them being that we are currently looping inside this reality construct because we have disconnected from the awareness of our natural state. The reasons behind this do not matter in our current spellbound state. We will never understand it using our fragmented or broken minds. What matters is that now more than ever, we can use our own will to correct this. They say through the downloads and messages over the years that it's like a catch-22 paradoxical situation. We can't understand why without first returning to this homeostatic state of our original design. From my perspective, after having been changed and I am changing, it's especially clear after the latter stage kundalini events. It seems to be a cosmic project to help us restore our sight and attempt to help others see again too. All of us doing this in our own unique ways. I must say it's a tough project because what I found was you can't tell someone directly what's missing from their consciousness. One can only point. And maybe if we have many people pointing, it will help humanity break the spell that they are most certainly under. Life is far more than what you think it is. Love is far greater than what most of us are currently able to feel. They say it needn't take others as long as it took me to reorient to the natural state And I'm in no way saying I'm done. A portion of my inner sight may have been switched back on. But I am most humbly aware that I am just at the beginning of understanding and translating any of this. What I offer here are my simple maps. The beauty of having documented a significant portion of my life is... I am in a position now to look back and observe the unfolding of it over time. The arc of evolution appears to be evident in my own accelerated spiritual growth, as well as the deepening of my connection and my abilities to translate the data that arrives in frequency. While I was told by a myriad of sensitives and well-known channels, including Bashar, 
that this is my work and service in this lifetime. I resisted every bit of it for 20-odd years. And even when the downloaded messages began in the years following my major kundalini awakening in 1998, I had trouble sharing the data, let alone use the word channel, mostly because of the New Age stigma attached to it. At first, I tried to write these downloads out with pen and paper and sketch the images that came with it. Soon, it became pretty clear that this method would not be fruitful. The communication came way too fast. All at once, really. I will share more about adapting to this frequency-based language in a future episode. Meanwhile, I found no one except the folks that appeared in my life in the most surprising and magical ways to validate me in the nick of time even before I fell into another pit of darkness and foreboding, a deep sense of loneliness in not being able to find mirrors in this world for this kind of cosmic interaction. So I did search for explanations, but I found few that I could relate to. After my May 1991 experience, I discovered John Mack's book, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. Reading these accounts from other experiencers was like the proverbial glorious tall glass of water after what seemed like an endless trek through this desert world. And John Mack was holding this glass. Incidentally, when I refer to abduction books in the interview you'll hear shortly, I was not referring to Mack's work. There were others at the time writing on this topic in ways that I did not find resonance with. I did find other authors, however, on this topic and other related mystical anomalies. It was only bits and pieces that I could identify with. And up to this point, I'd met no one like me. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be until the late 90s, with the advent of the internet, that I would actually talk and or correspond with others like myself. In my experience, I never identified with any of the given boxes for the paranormal or supernatural. I tried on the New Age community for size, as well as the UFO community. Neither one could provide a comfortable space or frame that I could hang my hat on. So I was on my own with it for many years. What I did notice, however, was that if I tried to speak of it, the minds of my listeners would quickly place me into one of those pigeonholes. No matter how much I protested and begged to be heard without the clutter of these boxes swallowing me up into their mental categories and labels, I noted that people seemed to only hear what was already programmed into their heads to hear. One of a few key individuals that appeared in my life was the channel Daryl Anka, who attunes to and translates messages from what he refers to as a future self who named himself Bashar, but only for the purposes of interacting with 3D-oriented human consciousness. He explained that because of the being's naturally telepathic nature, they do not require names. Daryl is one who shares his perspective of the fear factor in all of this, which you got a taste of in the opening clips. Clearly, we resonate on this topic and without the ability to compare notes before our separate interviews. 
Because I meet so few lifelong or long-term experiencers who are publicly speaking about the evolution of contact over time and the awareness of why we might initially feel fear in these interactions, I was quite pleased to hear Daryl speak of it too in this 2005 interview. Stay tuned. His interview is a prominent piece in this episode. But first up, it was May 1991. I worked for a well-known worldwide defense contractor based in San Diego, California. My day consisted of being an administrative assistant for the head of the SDI, nicknamed Star Wars Division. My job involved a lot of typing, both secret and top secret technical documentation. At times I was loaned out to the CEO for special projects. A lot of my work was done inside a SCIF, or Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. I was relatively new on the job at this time, and trust me, up to this point in my life, I had been kept quite naive on the business of war. I hated the material I was working with. It forced me to see things that I would have preferred to never know. One of my high-contact activity windows began in the late 80s and up into the mid-90s. At that point, it changed into a new phase, which I'll cover in a future episode. I'm going to play the 2004 audio of my account of this May 1991 event. My book goes into even greater detail, as I had the time in 2016 to research more, but still not all of my personal documentation. So I'd like to share um, uh, an experience on May 24th, 1991. This was another really pivotal experience for me um, because I, uh, I was, I I moved into this condo in San Diego, California, and um, I was living with my son at the time, single parent. Uh, there was a lot of um, unusual activity that was happening in this condominium. Um, I would awaken to the stereo blasting music. Um, I would awaken to the TV coming on. I would wake up and my lamp would have come on. And um, uh, this particular experience that I'm going to share, the answering machine was actually going crazy. Um, The old tape kind, you know, rewind forward, rewind forward. I mean, electronic instruments were just going bananas. This particular one, I did awaken in my room with a total terror. There was something in my room, and I was Um, I believe, in my opinion, I was way more conscious this time than I had been in the past. And it was almost like I was ready to kind of graduate into a a new level of consciousness to um, communicate with these beings. Now, when you talk about high, high, high frequencies that these beings uh, are and reside in, and it meets the frequency of the third dimensional human being, to me, this is where the terror comes from. It's um, high frequency meeting a lower frequency, and you need to accelerate your uh, frequency to meet theirs so you can 
uh, commune. So I was in a total state of terror and um, paralyzed, and uh, I I knew of nothing else to do um, except say the Lord's Prayer, and I don't think I'd said that in about 10 years, so (laughs) it's not something I, you know, it wasn't a common practice. So I was rapidly, rapid-fire Lord's Prayer over and over and over, and I felt hands, what felt like hands around my ankles. And I was pulled to the bottom of my bed very gently. So now I'm sitting on the floor, leaning up against the edge of the bottom of my bed. And I'm still feverishly saying the Lord's Prayer because it feels like you're going to die. And in fact, you wish that you would just die and and get that (laughs) frequency to stop. Um, Then uh, I felt a peace come over me very briefly, and I heard in my head, uh, telepathically, you know, you do have a choice on how you would like to experience this. And so I was just a little startled with this whole, you know, uh, telepathy thing, because it was so much more uh, in my face, not so dreamlike or as a child where it's more natural and all of that. It was very, um, very vivid. And, um, and then uh, it said, so um, how would you like to experience this? Right now, this is fear. <laughs> and uh, there was no question about it that I was experiencing fear. The other choice was love. Now, we've all heard this as New Age explorers. You know, there's love and there's fear. There's two choices. Well, I had never heard of that at this time. I, had, I hadn't um, done any study where it was like, oh, there's only two choices, love and fear. So this was a huge concept to me. And, um, and then I was asked how I wanted to experience it. I don't know how many seconds ticked by, um, but I, I did say love. Everything completely shifted when I said that into the most glorious light, the most glorious love, and um, there isn't an adjective in the world that can describe, and I know in talking to other experiencers, this is one of the most frustrating things. You cannot find words for this level of love. Um, I was then uh, up, I was floating over to my bedroom window. Here's the window again. And um, I, I proceeded to break down into um, just molecules and light. And I guess others might call this a light body. I remember very specifically the loud, loud rushing sound in my ears and the feeling of passing through the glass of my window, almost like it was molecule by molecule. Um, not that it, you know, time-wise, there wasn't any time element here, um, but but it felt like it 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 went molecule by molecule. I'm then out in space, floating in space. There's stars all around me, and. Um, I, uh, there's, there's a, (laughs) um, the missing piece, there's a big chunk of it that it's like I, 
I, um, I was seeing geometric figures pass by. Um, I was, uh, 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 DNA floated by me, um, uh, a pyramidal structure floated by, and then some more complex geometric figures floated by. Um, then there was the missing piece. Then all of a sudden I'm, oh, I'm back. Oh, it's time to go back to my bed. And so, boom, I'm back in my bed. And um, I've heard others talk about the sense of humor of these beings. And um, one of the funniest um, uh, little jokes or, or puns or whatever you want to refer to it as was when I awakened in my bed, the radio was blasting to the Pointer Sisters song, I'm So Excited. And... <laughs> And uh, I, I was in an, uh, an altered state. I did get up out of bed, and I turned it off. And it was only much later, uh, maybe a day or so later, that I reflected back on all that. And I went, oh, my God. You know, it's, when you're in it, when you're in that expanded state, it's natural and normal. And there's no, oh, wow. Because you're in it. It is you. You are it. And then when you slowly kind of uh, come back to this um, denser version of you, then it's like, that was amazing. You know, I got to write that in my journal. Um, but I, I think that's very interesting how, how um, and, I've, and I've heard others say this too, that um, it's, there isn't any question about its validity when you're in it. It's when you come out of it, then you start questioning. You start comparing yourself to other people. I have had a terrible self-esteem problem in my life because I've always uh, been in a place of what is wrong with me? I'm not like other people. I'm not like other people. So something must be wrong. It's only been recently that I have been able to validate this um, aspect of me these aspects of me as hey you know what this is kind of cool um and i'm okay with this but it's only been uh, very very recently i want to i want to share too that after i had that um, 1991 experience um, of being taken out the window um <clears throat> it i i had been it, there were uh, um abduction stories you know news stories or um, uh, newspaper articles. There were books coming out on, on this whole abduction phenomenon. And the interesting thing was, is I would look at that and I'd go, oh, well, wait a minute, would that maybe explain what happened to me? And, and so I started exploring these things and I would be, I would just get so disappointed after I would read a book about abduction um, because I'd be like, it, it's such a, for an experiencer, and I'm speaking for myself, um, it, it was my whole life I was consumed with finding a mirror, finding something else in this world that would mirror back to me some sort of, to make some sort of sense out of what was happening to me. I knew I couldn't talk about it. I didn't talk about it as a child. I certainly wasn't going to talk about it as an adult because it's, it's all over the place that, um, the, the judgment about it, that you're crazy. Um, 
So, and, and I did buy into that. I did think maybe possibly I was going crazy. And at the same time, I knew that it was one of the most beautiful experiences a human being can have. So there was that kind of uh, polarity of, of um, you know, there was no way I could synthesize it. And I believe that's what's happening for me now, um, is that it is starting to come together. And, and just being able to talk about it, <laughs> that's, that's huge. And to have someone listen. Um, but anyway, I did um, go, I did decide a year later that I was going to get regressed. I thought, well, you know, I can't find any mirrors for this, so I'm just going to go um, through a series of synchronistic events. Um, I, I uh, got um, connected with um, a woman who was beginning to get quite famous in, in the L.A. area for, um, she was on, she was always on the documentaries and um, being interviewed. She was like the expert on, on abductions. Well, I got regressed. And um, uh, it turned out to be something um, that she certainly didn't expect, and I wasn't really expecting either. Um, what happened when I was taken through, the regression was for that experience of being taken through the window. Um, I went out into space, and then I was, during that missing time, I was in a room with these beings, and we were having the grandest time. And it had a family reunion kind of feel to it. It was a pep talk. And the other aspect of that, and it's very important to me, is that um, one of the messages from these beings, probably the most important message in my opinion, is that we are equal with them. We are not these slimy 3D creatures that, um, you know, it's like a gift if they come along and sweep us up, you know, out of the sewer of earth and, and, and lift us to the, to the celestial realms. It isn't that at all. There's a huge amount of respect for the ones who come to earth and who are willing to do the interdimensional work in this way. Um, so it, it was such an exquisite uh, memory of being with them and, and being with my family again. The hard part is coming back. Uh, the back and forth for me has created probably more emotional and mental instability than anything. Um, but it's all, um, it all balances out. It's like I go through an expansive um, contact, um, all, all my doors are blown wide open. Um, I can't, you know, my whole worldview is completely shattered. I have nothing, nothing to grab onto. Nothing makes sense. Everything is kind of silly here. Um, uh, anything with structure is, um, just odd and bizarre and then and then it's a long slow process of integrating that experience but each time you get a little bit bigger you get bigger and bigger and um and so for me this whole journey has been to raise my frequency to get bigger to remember more to remember that we're cosmic beings um not only you know 
American residents, but worldly residents, um, galactic residents, cosmic residents. And, um, and it's just time to start piecing all of that together. Yeah, well, this sort of started for me in a, in a very interesting way. I, um, I've been channeling for about 21 years, but the events that sort of led to this started 30 years ago on two different occasions, uh, both within a week and in broad daylight. I had two very, very close UFO sightings here over L.A. First time was about <clears throat> uh, 150 feet away, and the second time was only about 60 feet away and had, thank goodness, witnesses with me both times so I could make sure I knew what I was seeing and got good corroboration from everyone. And in both instances, it was a dark uh, metallic equilateral triangle with one light on each point, blue-white light, and kind of a dull red-orange light glow coming from the inside of the center. And um, after having seen these sightings, uh, now that I, you know, knew that such a thing existed, I wanted to find out more about what that was all about. So I began doing research, and at that time there weren't a lot of UFO books out. Uh, <clears throat> and whatever UFO books there were, were kind of on the same, you know, shelf in bookstores as anything else that they sort of lumped into Metaphysics. So there was UFO books right next to whatever books existed on psychic phenomenon, whatever existed on channeling, and so forth. So as I sort of sort of went down the shelf, down the line, I just sort of started reading a lot of that stuff and um, found some of it interesting. And ten years after <clears throat> the UFO sighting, I was um, introduced to a channel at that time. And eventually, after listening to the information coming through that channel for several months, which I thought was, you know, good information, interesting information, the entity coming through that channel actually offered to teach a channeling class. And <clears throat> I went into it not thinking I wanted to be a channel. I just wanted to further my research. And I thought, well, number one, I'm curious to see how can something like that be taught. And just number two, just to find out more about what channeling was, as part of my ongoing metaphysical research, I decided to go into the class, which was, I think, about 12 weeks long. The class was basically a series of different kinds of guided meditations to get you into different states. And about halfway through the course, about six weeks in, I started getting a, a lot of strange things started happening in my life, a lot of weird synchronicities. And I started getting some very strange feelings. And in the class, uh, at one point, just before we were taking a break, I started literally sensing that there was something in the room. And it was a very odd sensation because it was like, <clears throat> it was like knowing that someone is standing in a corner, but and every single sense you have tells you there's someone there, except I couldn't see anything physically. But I kept this to myself. You know, I just was, didn't know exactly what I was feeling. <clears throat> I found out after the break that someone else in the class had sensed the same thing and was actually drawing a picture of what they saw, which was sort of this outline of an entity with these sort of large, dark eyes. Now, I didn't think twice about that, <clears throat> but as soon as the break was over and the class resumed and the 
entity came back through the channel, the first thing the entity did was literally turn to me and say, there's somebody here for you now if you want to start channeling. And so, you know, I was kind of shocked at that. Uh, but I said, all right, well, well, we'll give it a shot. And I went into the meditation that I was taught in the class. And as soon as I got to the right level, instantly I had what appeared to be almost like a memory coming back, <clears throat> very strong. And in that one instant, I knew that the UFO sighting had been shown to me for a reason to get me to this point. The word Bashar came with it, which was an identifying mark for this entity I was all of a sudden being contacted by, telepathically, I guess. And I understood instantly the message was, we made an agreement to do this. If this is something you still want to do, now it's time to begin. And I had to think about it for a while because I didn't know if I was hallucinating, if this was a side effect from the meditation, if I was just going crazy or, you know, just imagining this or making it all up. But again, without prompting, the entity coming through the other channel said, no, what you've got is correct, go with it. So, I mean, it was almost like they were reading my mind and sort of overseeing the process. So bit by bit, I sort of said, well, okay, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> the reason I was attracted to this other channel to begin with is because the information coming through seemed very helpful and made a difference in people's lives in a positive way. So I said, so if that's the same kind of thing that can happen here, then regardless of where it's coming from, that's reason enough to do it. And I went ahead and said, all right, I'll just let this through and see what happens. So haltingly over time, I let more and more of it through as my training got better and better, and eventually it got smoother and smoother. And this entity identified itself as an extraterrestrial consciousness. And... I found out <clears throat> that Bashar was not actually its name. It doesn't, they don't really have names in their society because they're telepathic and they don't need them. But he sort of knew we needed something to call him other than, you know, hey you. So he chose this word, and I found out actually many years later that it's actually an Arabic word, and he chose that because that's partly my background on this planet um, culturally. But I don't speak Arabic, and I had no idea what it meant. I was told years later after I started by a person who did speak Arabic that the word Bashar actually means messenger and bringer of good news. So even though it wasn't his name, it was obviously appropriate as a choice to identify him because that's exactly what he was doing, was acting as a go-between or an ambassador or a messenger. Um, <clears throat> you know, and I tell people, you know, I have no way of proving that Bashar is really an extraterrestrial. Uh, if someday he sees fit to prove it on his own <clears throat> by landing here, then I'll leave that up to him. But we focus on the information. The information that he brings through seems to have the ability to really help people in strong ways. That's the reason I keep doing it. Uh, and I, as long as people keep coming back to me and, and saying, you know, what Bashar told me really changed my life, really made a difference, uh, and now I can do what I couldn't do before, then that's reason enough to keep going. And that that's what I've been doing now for 21 years, aside from other stuff that I do. I would not say I was a spiritual person specifically before I started channeling, and so in that sense I would say the channeling has had a, a terrific impact on my life in terms of bringing more spirituality into my life. Uh, certainly the channeling experience itself um, has a profound effect 
on the channel in terms of <clears throat> sort of forcing you to walk your talk and balance out your emotions and your issues and things like that because the clearer the person gets, the clearer the channeling can be. So in some ways, the very act of being willing to be a channel is sort of like volunteering to go through uh, a very uh, different and interesting kind of course in, in self psychotherapy because you really have to kind of deal with your own issues and and the channeling energy in many cases brings those issues up within you as the energy goes through you um, so it certainly made me a more spiritual person um, just by being willing to do it yeah one of the things that came out of a recent channeling in this is unusual in that Bashar the you know, I have to talk about him as if he is an extraterrestrial entity on his own. That's the way it comes through, so I respect that. Uh, again, no one has to believe he is an alien. It's, you know, the information that counts. And if he wants to prove that he is real, someday he can. But we let it come through in the way he presents it. And so he's talked to us as if he truly is from another society and that what's going on here is kind of like a, a telepathic connection. So I'm sort of acting as a biological translator for him. Uh, he sends thoughts and the telepathic connection. They get translated into the language I was brought up to understand, which is English. I've actually seen him come through other people in other countries, and it comes through in their language, but the personality is obviously and distinctly his own. So that gives me some of my own validation that he's a distinct entity, regardless of who he's coming through. Uh, but again, the important thing is, is the information. And one of the things he's always talked about is how they have kind of a hands-off policy. Uh, they don't like to interfere in our decisions. They don't want to force themselves on us. They want us to make our own choices. And if, if we want to interact with them, we kind of have to meet them halfway. They can't do it for us. They want to respect the way we've created our society, the way we've created our governments. And they want to respect that if we feel we're not ready for that kind of, of interaction with other beings on other civilizations, then they're going to let us determine the pace at which such an interaction uh, can occur. Do you have any clue about that? Are there government ops, etc., negotiating on our... Um, I do believe that, of course, contact in some level has occurred. I mean... The very idea of what I do as a channel, in that Bashar presents himself as an extraterrestrial con you know, contact, is that contact has happened, this way at least. <clears throat> um, I do believe that certain factions in the governments of Earth are aware of the existence of extraterrestrials. I don't know how much interaction has gone on between them. Uh, I am aware, however, that there are, of course, different camps within different agencies and different government organizations about thoughts about what to do about that. Uh, I suppose it could be said that it's broken into fundamentally two different camps. One camp saying that the public should not be told, and the other camp believing that the public deserves to know that these things do exist. Um, <clears throat> I think we're going to see over the next five to ten years more and more of the information coming out that the government does know about. And I think we're going to see most of that information come out through various forms of media. Uh, they will probably put a lot of information out through different kinds of films, 
different kinds of TV programs, not even necessarily saying that it's true, but just getting people used to the idea that something like this could exist until perhaps then one day it will be such a common idea that then you could say, look, all this stuff we've been telling you actually has happened. And then hopefully at that point, people will go, oh, okay. And they're, you know, they'll accept it and they won't panic. They won't freak out. Uh, I think that's the major concern that the governments have is that it will be disruptive to many different levels of our society. So I think that the more they can get the information out in ways that people can either accept or ignore, but at least be exposed to and get used to. Um, from my way of thinking, that's probably the program that is ongoing right now, is just disseminate the information in the way that will be the least disruptive to society until such point as the information so saturates society that it will simply be taken uh, for granted that such things could occur and then we'll probably be told that they have, in fact, occurred. I think that there are a large percentage of people that do believe that UFOs are representative of extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, knowing or believing that that might be so and being ready for an encounter, in my opinion, are two very different things. Um, <clears throat> Bashar has actually, over time, had different conversations with different people about the idea of contact, and to my knowledge, on three different occasions, he has actually been willing to agree to land his ship and meet with people who have said, I am absolutely ready to have contact with you. If you come down, I'll be ready. And three different occasions he said, okay, and told the people where to be and when to be there. On all three occasions, the second the people actually started feeling or thinking that his ship was about to land or seeing something that they thought was about to initiate contact, they all ran like scared rabbits. Now, <clears throat> I think that the wisdom in what Bashar is saying about hands-off comes from their understanding that different beings exist on different levels of energy and that they understand that at this point in our evolution, for the most part, humans still have a lot of issues that they deal with internally that they haven't dealt with yet, and that that affects our frequency. It affects the energy of our being, <clears throat> both individually and collectively. And if they were to come into contact with us, being of a higher energy level, it would in some senses overwhelm us because it would be, as the analogy he's used, it would be like having a very fast-spinning gear and a very slow-turning gear suddenly be forced together without synchronizing. He said, we would strip your gears. And how that translates in their understanding is if we keep things within our unconscious or subconscious mind suppressed, to encounter an energy that has no separations within itself that way and operates on a higher frequency would, in some senses, by coming into contact with that energy, force those things to the surface before we're ready to deal with them. It would suddenly, he said, be like inducing psychic shock into you. And if you're not ready to face certain things, you're not ready to face certain fears, then <clears throat> you will simply suddenly become afraid 
in our presence. And it wouldn't be that you're afraid of us, it's that you're afraid of you and of what you contain that you haven't yet been willing to deal with or integrate. So he said, when you are more integrated and you meet us halfway, then we can interact with you in a way that won't harm you. And that's primarily, as he's explained it, why they have such a hands-off policy, is they know how disruptive just their physical presence would be to us, their energetic presence would be to us, and they have to wait until we're acclimated to ourselves and integrated within ourselves before we could really interact openly with beings who are fully integrated or certainly more integrated than we are. Yeah, there it is. I'm off script right now. I can't even begin to tell you how amazing this journey has been, how synchronistic it has been, how torturous it has been. It's a miracle that I'm still alive and that others I know are still alive because they say these same things. You know, each and every one of us thought we were completely alone. And now we're finding each other. And all of that is happening in this synchronistic way, too. But I don't think any of this could have happened unless we broke through the fear of this contact and didn't run from it, but instead leaned into it, as they say, and inquired, you know, become curious. I don't think any of this would have unfolded in these magical ways that they are happening right now. I don't think this would be happening unless we had faced those fears. Just have the courage to suspend your judgment, suspend the belief systems, and listen to what experiencers are sharing. I feel like I can talk like this at the end of the episode because only those people who resonate will uh, be listening to the end. And if you are one of those people, I thank you <laughs> from the bottom of my heart for, for listening and uh, for being interested in what I have to share. Heads up, at the end I'm going to share the song that I wrote that came <laughs> magically uh, for the uh, closing credits of the documentary. Uh, beyond Five Senses, and you will hear some of the footage uh, that this music plays over, the footage that is in the closing credits. The song is called Her Way, and because the documentary revolved around three women experiencers. Thank you for your attention and for spending time with me again. Pertinent links will be listed in the show notes below. My website will be included, how to contact me and other bits and pieces that I have scattered across the internet. And of course, uh, Daryl Anka's website, so you can learn more about him. In closing, remember, you are loved 
you are love. And there's a really important purpose for you being here now. Welcome home. I'm to go to Congress to swear before Congress that everything I've told you people and everything that is here is the truth. My name is Charles L. Brown. I'm a lieutenant colonel of the U.S. Air Force, retired subsequently seven years with the Foreign Service. I am willing to sign a sworn statement or testify to my judgment and to what I have observed. I'm a retired Navy commander, pilot, had a top secret clearance, so the truth is here. That I will testify under oath as to what I say is true, and I will do so before Congress. I'm willing to testify to the truth of all these matters that I've spoken about this in front of Congress under oath. Another day, I see his face, and he's still saying to be afraid. The world is orange, the world is gray. It's getting old, you know, his way. Things are getting better each day It's getting 